This is Behold, a VBC podcast. Our goal is to examine biblical truth that will better equip you to behold the glory of the Lord more fully in your daily life. Without further ado, here is the Behold podcast. Hello there and welcome back to the Behold podcast, everybody. This is Sean Helch, and I'm joined by the one and only Mr. Dan Gillette. Say hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. <laughs> Nailed it. I hope you guys have had a great week so far. hope you've been encouraged in the Lord, and we're excited to spend this little chunk of time with you guys chewing on just the Word of God together and some of the ways that it applies to our lives. Today, Dan and I are joined by uh, the, the man in black, if you will. Johnny Cash. Could you imagine if we did have Johnny Cash? Oh, that would be that would amazing. be impressive. It's actually. an AI simulated say, Johnny Cash. Okay. You probably could have that. No, not Johnny Cash, but Jason Moe. Pretty close. Hello. Welcome, welcome to the pod, buddy. Hello. That's Johnny Cash's voice. Uh, how was your bike ride today? You may not Short know this. Short and sweet. He rode his bike into into the studio today to tape this podcast. He's. You said you're trying to exercise twice a day. What's the deal with that? Just trying to up my. My game. Up your game, dude. It's my impressive. Game. Yeah. Getting ready for Navajo. We're going, we're going, my family's going on a Navajo trip this year. Dude, that's legit. Navajo outreach. Navajo outreach. I've been calling it a mission. Dude, but don't they even said, get They into said it's that. an outreach. They're both true. Yeah. yeah. Both true. I think they're both true. We had a hearty be, that'd, debate That'd be a day, discussion right? on outreach versus mission, but yeah. yeah Different yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. So how, how long has it been since you have attended this particular journey? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I went eight years in a row, and then I was trying to do the math. I think the last year we went, Autumn was nine years old, and she's 13. Okay, cool. So it's been that many, whatever that many years is. That's so cool. I'm not a math guy. So it's been a little bit of a break. <laughs> it has. And for those of, those of you guys that don't know, we take a trip every summer. The high school ministry sponsors it and hosts it and puts it on. But we've been going to the Emmanuel Mission, which is part of it's on the Navajo reservation in the four corners part of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And there is, there's a mission that's been reaching out to the Navajo people there for hundred plus years. And we've been going to support their work. We've been sending a team out there for what? 25 years more. Sounds uh, uh, 20 plus. Easy, yeah. So easy. we only longer missed, than I've been here. Yeah. yeah. We missed a couple COVID years, but we still did some things. We did some remote types of outreach things during those years, but we've had, they've had a steady presence there for so long and we've been partnering with them for, uh, as long as I can remember at VBC mm-hmm. and yeah, this year quest ministries is coming along high school to do, to kind of, you guys are working together on it and yeah, usually there's them. families that go, there's young adults, high school kids, yeah, Steven and his team. It's pretty awesome. Whoever's listening, you guys should consider coming. It's not too late, huh? Uh, yeah, you you better jump on. The, this week becomes too late, but but I think for future years, if not yeah. this year, yeah, it's an amazing trip, and it's like uh, I know you both have been, but it's like um, it's like you forget that you're in the United States. Yeah, it's you, like a different it's so part of the deep world. into yeah. the the Navajo reservation. And the culture and the food and the dress. Well, even the, the terrain, too, is so... Everything. It just yeah. feels like you're on a different planet. After th- two days there, you are you forget you're in the United States. and So it's just a wonderful experience. And and it's worth... I mean, there's a lot of beautiful spiritual moments because it's there, it's a dark place. And it's beautiful, but spiritually, there's a lot of oppression. And um, I think wherever there's darkness, grace abounds, right? So mm-hmm. there's some beautiful experiences and expectations that maybe just a little bit different than what our, our day-to-day experiences with the Lord are. Yeah. I I used to go a lot too back in the day before, before I got married and and had a gaggle of kids. And one of the things that I really miss about the trip is just worshiping under the stars. So Mm. what's cool is you, you, you bust your butt all day serving the Navajo and doing different outreach opportunities where you share the gospel or you, you help provide for some physical needs for some families on the reservation, or maybe you you work on some projects that are that are happening at the mission. There's also a, a basketball camp that we put on when we go there, so kids from all over the reservation come to the compound, and 
they they get to play basketball, but also learn about Jesus. But anyway, so you're working all day like a dog, and then right before bed, we all get together and we just we sing and we hear testimonies and we 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 just share passages of scripture and and it's just the stars there are just so beautiful to just to be under that you know and just all together and focus the way that you are. There's just some really sweet times of worship and yeah. and yeah, it's good good stuff. I'm I'm. I'm jealous. I wish I wish we were going. Maybe we should consider. Yeah, you know they they said now when families go that you get your own little like you used to sleep in the in, a, in the in the school in the in like the classrooms. Oh uh, yeah, which yeah, now right. has AC. Which is that's a new so, that's a new as of this year the classrooms do. But as a family, if you go with your wife or with a with your kiddos, um, you get like a little house, like a little missionary house, no, and it with a kitchen and. Some, some, I mean, sometimes I shouldn't promise that. We just have to tell. That becomes the norm. We so just have to like, tell Parker to to suck at baseball next year because he keeps making the All Star team uh, and then we can't it, go. That's it. So that's just it. hey, that's your mission. If field. he has a down, if he has a down year, we'll, we'll come. Yeah, that? that's your mission. <laughs> Love field. it. Uh, well, you know, on that note of the Navajo outreach mission trip, whatever you want to call it, it really is a good opportunity because sometimes, I mean, you just said it. It's like it feels like it's a different country almost, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of America looks at the Navajo people or other reservations uh, as such. Like, oh, they're, they're, they're too far from us. They're, they're different than us. They're, they're lower than us. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that process of reaching out towards and supporting and caring for a group of people that are very different from yourself um, and, and are struggling in ways that is a great opportunity for grace to abound mm-hmm. and for, for, for Christ's love to be demonstrated. And that ties in well to this morning, to the, what we're talking about in Luke with Jesus, because... Jason, you taught on Sunday at the Crossing and at the Altamont two weeks ago. Uh, through this encounter in Luke chapter 7, uh, a beautiful encounter of, of Jesus in, in this house with some people who think that they know, you know, what it, what it means to be holy. And they have this beautiful encounter with this woman who um, they would consider low. They would consider apart from themselves. They would consider not worthy of their attention and care. And yet Jesus calls them out, Right. And it, it's a beautiful reminder to us of, uh, A, just how far Jesus' love extends and his grace extends and his power extends, but then B, what our attitudes are to be as we live life, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you taught the morning, dear sirs, maybe you can get us started with just some extra things to chew on from your time uh, teaching. Sure. I, I, I didn't make that connection with the, the Navajo and this message, but that is a great, I think one of the things that angers Jesus so much in this message is that the 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 people uh, encountering this woman they are doing two things that Jesus hates they're devaluing someone and actually dehumanizing someone mm. and that is that goes so against everything that um the the father and and Jesus um how they view and love a human being and and so, and I think when it comes to Navajo, that's that is a mindset that that they they report being having felt devalued and dehumanized a lot, and 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 to show the love of Christ there is is, an, is a great honor because it's not true. We have so much to learn from them too. It's yeah. not like oh, we're going to help these poor Navajos. No, man, there's so much that they can teach us about life and about God and about the Bible and um, about valuing the human humans and. So anyway, great connection. Uh, Luke seven. Yeah, I know there was so much there. there there's so much there. Can you tell? Maybe since I did it, and I, I talked so much on this. <laughs> uh, can you or one of you give like a quick? It's a peculiar. What I call a peculiar dinner, dinner party. party. Yeah. So can you just give a quick? And someone's never read it or never heard it or didn't. What's the what happened in a nutshell? Yeah, I'll, I'll start us off. So. There, there was a, you did a great job of, of painting the picture and you even actually showed some slides, but basically this, this scene that was common during that time of people gathering together for a meal and whenever there would be an honored guest, uh, someone hosting a party, it was kind of done out in the open, right? So you'd have the people that were invited there at the table reclining, uh, you know, sharing a meal, but then yeah. you'd have a lot of onlookers and passerbys and people could kind of drop in and out and, into the courtyard, yeah, yeah, into the courtyard and kind of see what was going on. So basically there, there, that's what was happening. That's kind of the, the context. And Jesus was invited, but he wasn't, uh, shown hospitality. He wasn't really welcomed, uh, as per the custom of that day. Right. Um, and, and Jesus 
points that out that he he wasn't offered the the common courtesy of having his feet washed. He wasn't uh, you know given given oil oil or yeah. anything to drink. Like he he was he was there, but he was not welcome. It was clear that um, the people there that were hosting him were skeptical of him. They were they were um, you know not into what he was all about. Mm-hmm. And so just as this thing, maybe as people were getting settled and, 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 and situated, this, this woman comes in and she, um, you know, works her way, not invited, <laughs> works her way right into the middle of the whole thing yeah. and begins to um, basically bless Jesus in this very peculiar kind of outrageous uh, way. Yeah. You know, she... Um, <laughs> and it, well, it turns into that. I think. I think yeah. I, my my take is she's bringing a a gift, a, a, an alabaster yeah. gift of perfume, either mm-hmm. to give to him or to ask him if she could anoint him. Yeah. And then unfo- I think she yeah. loses it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. she begins Just to in weep her presence, and, in his presence. And, yeah, and it, you also did a good job of of saying that man. There were these crowds that followed Jesus around where he, as he was going about from town to town and, and ministering, and she was likely she had had an experience and encounter with him in one of those crowds. And so she's coming with, with this, um, this heart, uh, that is full of gratitude, that is full of love and wants to, wants to bless Jesus. And so moved by that, she, she begins to, to weep and you did a good job of explaining. This isn't just a tear, right? This is like an ugly cry. You know, I, th- this, I think so. Yeah. This is a lot yeah. going on because it's so there's so much tears that she actually washes Jesus's feet with her tears. Yeah. And um and just yeah, from there she she uses her hair to wipe his his feet. She she anoints him with this. She dumps out the jar. She breaks the jar completely. It's it is a um an outrageous uh, unabandoned act of worship and devotion. And yeah, it's, uh, there, there's so much to unpack there. And I thought you did a great job, Jason, but I'm sure there's a lot of things that you kind of wanted to, wanted to bring in that we didn't have time for. And that's the beauty of the podcast. So, yeah. so what's, what's something that we can kind of, where we could, we could spin this off and take it even deeper. Yeah. Well, thoughts for those of you that might reread this and just kind of meditate on it um just remembering that she um she had a reputation and so a past and the understanding that she was seen as um a woman the term is woman of the street which would have been a prostitute at the time and would have been as a result considered part of the defiled outcast and out, outside of the boundaries of redemption, according to the system that the philosophy, the, the Pharisees, sorry, and the scribes had set up. And so that, that puts her in a position that seems to be in the, within the midst of the culture as outside of the boundaries also of God's grace. Um, like to God, well, what I use the phrase kept using is gone too far. Um, she's too far gone, you know, um, so just thinking through that lens of um, there's some stuff there that I mean there's a great discussion I would say that we're not we probably won't go there today but just clarifying that it's her actions of love and what what Dan you called like extreme um, worship kind of worship devotion. expression devotion yeah, yeah. Um, those aren't the means in which Jesus declares her forgiven or saved. He clarifies it at the end that he said that that's an expression of you, the, the forgiveness that I've already extended to you, mm. and it's your faith he says that has saved you. Um, I think in verse fifty, it's your faith that saved you. You actually believed me and trusted me that I am who I say I am, <clears throat> and that's a great. Clear, I mean, some people because some people today um, still go with that thinking that I have to pay God back or I have to achieve a certain level of. Um, spiritual perfection or just good, just doing good in life. And that somehow gains me merit with God. And um, then I can get forgiven. And that's just a lie from that goes flies in the face of everything Jesus taught teaches. And so, so there's that discussion, but I think separately than that is, I think it might be more beneficial just to talk a little bit more about the concept of what does it mean that we can believe that someone's too far gone. Do we ever feel that way about people? Hmm. 
do you guys, have you guys ever fallen into that trap of thinking someone's beyond the reach or too far gone? They're never going to be saved by God. Any? Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of think of this in two different categories that I think we all fall victim to as far as ways of thinking. And the first one is a bit more subtle. I think it's probably the more common one for most Christians today. It's like, I don't think we frequently think at least actively, Oh, this person's too far gone. This person's too far gone. That for, you know what I mean? But I think that there's this subtle attitude that I think Satan works to, to, to breed, which says something like, yeah, I think I, or I think that my circle, we're, we're better than that group, that mm-hmm. type of person. We're yeah. better than those people, you know? And it could be over stupid little things like we dress this way, you know, or we like it, how we do this. Um, and I think it's subtle, but I think the consequences are not subtle. Yeah. <laughs> I think the consequences can be really grave as far as relational strife, division in the church, just unchristlikeness, and it comes to how people view Christians, you know? So that's definitely prevalent. That's the first one. But then the second one, like you're saying, for sure. I think for sure, if you really question people hard about, they might say like intellectually, oh yeah, Jesus loves everybody. It's fine. But I think if you really drill them as far as how far they're willing to go with someone, as far as investing their time or energy or their, 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 their service towards them, they, I think for sure people would say that person's a lost cause. They're, they're never going to turn to Jesus. Yeah. Well, and that, that's what you constantly see in Jesus's response in Luke and all throughout the gospels is that he, he is concerned with the heart of the people that he's, he's dealing with. And he has the incredible benefit of being able to see their hearts. Yeah. Right. Like with, with Simon, he, he didn't even, Simon didn't have to say what he was thinking. Jesus knew what he was thinking and he knew what was in his heart. Yeah. And he, Jesus sees what's in our hearts too. And man, I just think it's a good, it's a good check for us to just, to, to do some evaluation, to let him in and to maybe point out some, some attitudes that we might be having towards other people. You know, makes me think of this parable that Jesus teaches in Luke 18. So, um, spoiler alert, but I, again, eventually we're going to get here, but you guys know the one I'm talking about with the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you guys remember this? Mm-hmm. So basically he's talking about two different people who, um, maybe from the world's perspective, one's more righteous than the other, right? One's one is, is in a better place with God than the other, uh, the Pharisee versus the tax collector. And he, he addresses something that, that is in the heart of each one that's revealed through prayer. So listen to this. It says verse nine of, of chapter 18 says, um, he, he, Jesus tells his parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and then they treated others with contempt. Okay. So then he gets into it. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can you get the picture? You yeah. see what the, you see the, the pride and the contempt that's in his heart, yeah. the self-righteousness that's in his heart. And then he says, on the other hand, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Okay. You see the heart that's revealed there, uh, humility, brokenness, a contrite spirit before God, aware of his sin, not focusing on his righteousness. This is what Jesus says. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I think that is the message that I am taking away from with this issue of like, what am I what am I thinking about other people in my life who, who, where, where might I be thinking that they're too far gone? Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it, where does that originate from? It's a pride. It's a self-righteousness. It's a, it's ultimately, a, a, I'm failing to understand what the gospel really is and how we're actually justified. Mm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. like, are we justified by what we do or are we justified by the grace 
of, of, of the Lord Jesus access through faith, you right. know, option B. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so I don't know that I think is, is a great thing for us to explore. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just for clarification, cause you both have mentioned like basically Simon's two Simon is the Pharisee in the Luke seven passage. You've mentioned two of his pitfalls, right? He has more, but one of them is he just thinks of himself better than others. And in doing so is what we're arguing devalues and dehumanizes another person. And we all, on some degree, fall into that category. And so maybe that's just, maybe that's something that we can think through as as listeners or people listening today. Just like, do is there, am I this week falling into where I just think I'm better than someone, or I look down on someone else, even to the smallest degree? It doesn't matter. It devalues a human being, and so it doesn't bless the Lord. That's not that is not the heart of Jesus, right? And then yeah. the other pitfall is. Believing that someone is beyond the grace of God's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the grace of God's um, and His healing, right? Those are two yeah. pitfalls, right? Hundred percent. What I love that, like, as you just described that, Dan, like the picture is, hey, the the world's way, the not Christ heart way, like you're saying, Jason, Jason is, mm-hmm. you lift yourself up. You know, you 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 boast in what you can do and what you've done and your job and all that kind of stuff. You know how you dress, what car you drive, but the Jesus way, the the, the biblical way to receive glory, it seems to be, is through humility. You know that that that's that's the the reality of it. Is if you actually want glory, then hu- humility is the way. You know, and it reminds me of like in in Philippians two with the example of Jesus. Who it says that at the end, it says that because Jesus did something, God bestows upon him what? The name that's above every name. And because of what he did, that's the something, every nation in heaven, on earth, on the earth, they're all going to bow before him and say that he is Lord, you know, to the glory of God the Father. And what's the thing that he did? It wasn't that he came as a triumphant king. It's not that he was so good at whatever the thing is. It's he humbled himself to the point of obedience to death on a cross. And it's like, that's what's modeled. And it's laid out. And that same picture, obviously, we're not called to die on a cross. Maybe we are in situations, but not right now. <laughs> we're not called to die on a cross, but we are called to show humility to the point of obedience to whatever God is asking us to do to extend Jesus' love towards others. doesn't matter if we consider them too far or not, right? Mm-hmm. That, that through that obedience and humbling ourselves in that way, we can trust that God's going to receive glory, right? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't. It's so good. And and. I couldn't help but think on Sunday morning, like what would be the modern day equivalent of, of this, this woman coming and blessing Jesus in the way she did. I I don't know. I I struggled to, to find, to find a modern day equivalent because I wanted to think what, how would I respond if this happened in, in our context today, if someone came to worship, you know, that was, that was viewed in the same way as this woman and how would we respond? I don't know. Can you guys think of anything? Like what would be a modern day equivalent and how yeah. do you guys feel? It, like well, it is respond? unique. It's what makes the story, the, the account so unique because it is, no one's even seen anything like this. Right? right. And it does, it does fit a principle And the principle is those that have been forgiven much, love much. And her thing was, she was loving much. Right? Yeah. Uh, and those that have been forgiven little love seem to love little is what Jesus mm-hmm. says. So you're th- you're saying is there an example of someone who has just because they have a sense of how much they've been forgiven mm-hmm. just has shown extreme well, I, I love. Can, yeah. I can picture it. You know, obviously not the same, but I could picture someone that unfortunately, like a lot of us churchgoers, might put into that lump category of like fringe people, you know, Mm -hmm. like maybe they seem like they're a drug addict or maybe they are promiscuously dressed or whatever. And Mm -hmm. yet that person comes in and they're just on their face bowing, weeping because of their worship. Like I can totally picture in that exact moment, people may be saying, Oh, what is that person doing here? You know, like they shouldn't be in the front row kind of thing. Whereas that's not the heart of Jesus as we see here. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great, a great example. And we can all kind of, you know, extrapolate in our minds what 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 type of person we would have might have that response towards. Let's name them. Who are yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's just a good it's a good gut check. Like Jesus, he he despises that type of self righteous, you know, religious heart that that 
sets up some kind of, tries to set up some kind of false hierarchy. Yeah. And that's what is so great about the gospel of Jesus Christ is it's all level. It's the, the playing field is level. We're all caught up in the same net. And that's the, that's the interesting thing about the, the loving much, forgiving much, forgiving little, loving little. In reality, we've all been forgiven the same amount, right? The wages of sin is death, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no, and, and even, even for someone who's maybe lived a, a promiscuous life like this woman where her sin is a little bit more overt and, and socially apparent, <laughs> the the sin of self-righteousness, the sin of pride, the sin of, the sin of contempt, those are kind of private secret things that that only the Lord sees. Mm-hmm. But they're not any more grievous to him. They're they're not any more destructive to us or to his creation, right? So I, is there is is it is it fair to say um Jesus is is He's not, he's being a little bit maybe hyperbolic, like, or a little bit, he's not, he's not actually saying that this woman's been forgiven more than the Pharisee. Like the Pharisees sin just as much. It's just less overt. Do you get what I'm saying? I think, I think it speaks to the, the, the pride and humility thing. I think what Jesus is really saying is this person understands more than you do that she's been forgiven. Yeah. 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 yeah they've, both been, they've both been forgiven much. Yeah. I mean, I, or they have the opportunity to be forgiven much. Right. 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 He, just because you don't think you've sinned a bunch doesn't mean you haven't, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. But I, I think Jesus is making a, um, well, one, this one, to Sean's point, he's making a statement that she has a sense of her depravity. Yes. She gets it. She totally gets the depth. In the parable that he gives, remember he says there's two money lenders or there's, yeah. there's two guys and they got, they got um, some money from money lender. They're in debt. One's 50, one's 500. So in that sense, one is in deeper debt, meaning, um, from a human perspective, a life of continual debauchery, um, there is a sense when you realize the cost that that that, mm. that Christ died to save sinners and that he died while we were still sinners, enemies of his. Right. There is a sense of just deep – I think those tears she was experiencing, which I, I think we, I mentioned is the – it's our Greek word to sob. I mean it's mm-hmm. sob to – I think they're tears of joy mixed with the weight of – of what it means, what she was pulled from. Yeah. And I do think, though, yeah, I guess all I'm sin is, is death. Yeah. There is a sense right. of the, the, the sinner. The consequence, the, the human yeah, yeah. consequence in the world that that certain sins have, right? Yeah. They carry, they carry like, in terms of, in terms of God's view, right? It's, it's all, it's all death. It <laughs> is. Right? It's it all is. leading us in, away from him. And if you're guilty of one, one part of the law, you're guilty. You've broken the whole thing. Right. right. But, but I get what you're saying on a human level. There's a, there's a gravity that she ha- had experienced because she, she came to grips with where, with where she was at. And, and Simon had that same opportunity in that. I, I think Simon is also the 500 center, you know, in some ways. I get the, it. See, in, that's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say. He, at <laughs> yeah. one point he could come to a place realizing how much he contributed to a system that brought people down, how much he defiled. Uh, he, he maybe didn't commit the same sins as her, but he can still, and maybe in the culture and the time, his sins are seen as less. It doesn't really matter, but he can, I don't think a, a Christian has to, commit grave sins that fit the culture to feel the sense of depravity mm. that they have. I think anybody who sinned at all can come to a place of mature humility that says, wow, I sinned against a holy God and I feel the weight of that. Yeah. Um, and well, that's so, a prerequisite for coming to Christ, right? You have, you have to have a sense of to some, your need uh, for forgiveness. Yeah. Your yeah. gravity, the gravity and the depravity and, Whatever avities, all the cavities. Your cavities. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, you know, this has not been modeled well historically at times in the Christian church, which I think is why, like in in recent years, there's kind of this bigger push towards this kind of. You can picture the big signs, "Come as you are," you know, like mm-hmm. all are welcome kind of stuff, and it's almost celebrated to be coming to a church not Christ-like, you know. Yeah. Like I was listening to this sermon recently and it was this big church. And at first the, the guy was talking, I'm like, right on, dude, right on. Cause he was saying like things like if, if you worked as a stripper this week and you're here receiving the word of Christ, then we love you. We're so glad you're here, you know? 
I'm like, yeah, right on, you know? And then he's like, and you know what, woman? You get back on that pole tomorrow. And we st- I'm like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there is a point where it's like, okay, well, for example, Jesus makes this big deal with this woman in Luke 7. And the very next thing he's going to say in Luke 8 is making a big deal about the good soil who hears his word and, and clings to it in their lives closely, you know? So we don't want to go too far in just saying, yeah, we should all be like the woman and, and therefore love Jesus more in our lives. You know, that's not the point. The point is Jesus's love for us, hmm. not, not us abusing his grace, right? And, and one of the things I think about when I th- with these people who are in this room and this whatever, peculiar dinner, like you called it, mm-hmm. is we have benefit that they don't have because we have the benefit of looking back on this encounter. That's one benefit. But also because we have so many years of history now as a faith family, and as a Christian church at large, we can see this at play in our lives. We can see examples of people who... Maybe some people, someone would have considered them too far, and yet we've seen them redeemed. Mm-hmm. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yep. Mm-hmm. Both you know, famous people, but also individuals. Like I think about someone, I'll just name drop him because he shared this plenty, Mike Bongiorno. He's someone who, he, he knew the word of God, and then he lived a part of his life far, far away from him. You know, really involved with drugs and alcohol and just not living for Jesus. And that time, and Mike would say this, he's like, I would, people would call me unsavable. You know, mm. and yet Jesus found a way. And so I think as people who love Jesus now, having those examples in our lives can be super helpful and powerful. Just reminding our hearts, man, it's never, it's never impossible for God. And one of the things I think about, like with Mike's story is there tends to be a common thread in a lot of these kinds of amazing redemption stories of not only did Jesus find a way in those moments, but one of the common threads you often hear is in that moment where I was in that pit where people considered me untouchable, what started my journey back was that someone loved me still. Mm. Someone took it upon themselves to love me like Jesus did. You know, mm-hmm. like Mike talks big about his dad, Ed, in that time. He's like, he just loved me throughout and that really spoke towards, spoke, spoke about Jesus's love for me kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, do, what about you guys? Can you think of people or or Situations. history stories or whatever yeah. where, where things like that happen that go against that that Pharisee way of thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of um, – I, I have to do this personally. I keep a little um, – somewhat of a journal uh, um, sometimes with people's names in it. It's just privately for me. Of men, men and women in my, the ministries that I have overseen over the years, who would have been considered on some level by others, or could have been considered by others as falling into this false thinking of too far gone. And for me, it's it, I keep it in the categories of things like, um, you know, we I think our minds go to addiction. People were various forms of addiction, whether it's substance abuse or it's sexual addiction or sexual abuse. Um, where someone's in that lifestyle so much or have experienced some type of abuse so that that the the anger or the or the, the either the love of the idol of the of the of the sin or the the belief that it owns you the the the, the addiction or the horrible memories of it keep someone so that they have placed themselves in a position that seems like they they don't even want anything to do with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will fall into the trap of thinking, well, as a result, they're too far gone. You know, we'll, we'll say theologically, I said this on Sunday, uh, Christians are, you know, f- by and large will say, if they're really honest, theologically, I know that God's grace is powerful enough to save them. But that person is, is not, is living a life so off of the radar of God, like in terms of their radar, the person's radar, that how are they ever going to hear the gospel? If they did, they're going to totally reject it. So I think of categories like that where people, um, it's not true. I watch, I watch people get saved all the time from abuse, from the belief that they're in the clutches of, of addiction, um, the belief. And what I mean by that is they, they truly do have addictions, but that the clutch is so strong that the addiction, is more powerful than God. That's a lie, right? Right. Um, I watch people who I, I idolatry is another one where I, I have a whole list of like um, just names of people who they bow down to um, money, the idolatry of money, like their pursuit of money and and uh, their career 
and moving up in their career was their God. And so people in their life would say, there's no way they're ever going to, and they're, they're really successful. So why do they need God is their view. And people in their life who've been praying for them would say, like, how are they ever going to turn from this and see their need for forgiveness? And yet we have story about story with something like that. So mm-hmm. I, to me, it's, does that make sense with the category thing? Yeah. No, it's like I, I think about, um, I love even right now people that it, it, they're just like what you would consider normal folk who are doing life in this, in California, in the East Bay. They're not, um, seemingly living horrific lives, mm-hmm. but they're so, they're just enjoying their life. They don't see a need for God. They're, they're spiritually, you know, ways deep in their idolatry, but it's their idolatry of that they, that they can be their own king or queen of their own life, you know, yeah. and God just opens their eyes. Yeah. You know, I love writing down ones about like philosophies. People are set in their worldview. You all know, those listening, you all have someone or someones in your life that they're so committed to a certain worldview or certain philosophy or a certain cause that that cause is against what Jesus teaches. So they don't want to engage with Jesus because that means they have to let go of this cause or this worldview or this philosophy. And in fact, they find Jesus offensive in that way or Christians offensive. So, and yet God, so we think, Oh, well, how are they ever going to hear the gospel? And they're too far gone. Right. But no, we have countless stories. Totally. And you even think about people that kind of in that same bucket, they're just, maybe apathetic. How many times do we see high high school or college age students come up in the faith Mm -hmm. and brought to church, brought to youth group, taught the gospel at an early age, even discipled. And they're just, they, they, they get so, so accustomed to the glories of God and the beauty of Christ that it just, it just becomes bland and, and they grow numb to it. And then they go off to college and, and experience the pleasures of the world and maybe some different ideology and some more appealing messaging. And they, they, they wander, right? How many times do we see, do we see them come back? Right. I mean, right. how many times? Yeah. And I just think that that, that's a, a another beautiful picture. Um, and I've got to personally write it down because I forget, right. even though I've seen so many. Right, exactly. And I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I still forget and think, oh, Lord, can, can you? Of course you can. Yeah. He does the impossible. Right. And this is not hard for him to right. change a heart or mind. Yeah. I also think about there, there's people in our community who have come to us out of cults that they grew up in their whole life, that they were ind- indoctrinated with this false gospel and in many ways coerced and abused into blindly going along with this, this teaching and, and we've seen God deliver them. And uh, my friend pastors a church in Utah right now where they're, they're seeing almost weekly people being delivered out of uh, the, the Latter-day Saints church and encountering the real Jesus and being saved by the real gospel. And, it's just, it's beautiful and amazing. You know, I think also we were talking offline about the guy who wrote the, um, the classic hymn, Amazing Grace, John Newton. You guys familiar with this, with Mm -hmm. this story? Hopefully you guys are listeners. So here, here's a, a man who basically was the captain of a slave ship and he had devoted his whole life to making money off of something that talk about devaluing human being talk about having contempt towards not just a person, but a whole race of people, Mm -hmm. not even viewing them as, as humans, but commodities. He, he basically participated in this slave trade where, um, people, people died and, and, and they profited it off of it. Mm -hmm. He has, an encounter with Jesus and he completely turns his life around, becomes an abolitionist. Uh, and he, he writes this, this hymn that we even sing today, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Mm -hmm. You think that was a man who is, who is aware of what 
how he had been saved. Yeah. Right. And, and his, um, like you said, Jason, in response to, to this, to this story, we, the first step is just to recognize where we've come from mm-hmm. to, to not, cause some of us have been saved for decades. Right. And, and God has transformed us and, and we've been sanctified and, and we're, we're living more and more like Jesus every day. So it can be easy for us to forget where we've come from, yeah. what we once were. And I think we, we need to, we need to hold on to that because it will keep us humble and it will help us understand that God can do it again. Yeah. And, and, and we need to, in the midst of, even though we're, I think it is important to be, um, Oh, I don't know. Like just, um, appropriately grateful and positive for about the sanctification work that we notice in ourselves. I mean, most of the time we notice more sin than we do the, 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 we're quicker to point out the sin in our life than we are to see like the evidence of God's grace in our life. Mm-hmm. But, but we need to be able to point like, yes, I am growing. Yes, I do see God's sanctifying work in my life. It's slow, but it, I am maturing. We do need to do that. Yeah. But he gives us in his kindness an awareness of, you know, every day, a thought that goes through your mind, a feeling in your heart, a week that you feel off, like one week or a month you feel kind of in a spiritual funk. Mm-hmm. There's times that way that you get a sense, even then, I think of your own depravity, like how wicked I am in my own heart, apart from God's grace daily to keep me on the straight and narrow and to, mm-hmm. and to keep. So I even, I would say, yes, we need to look back on what we were saved from. But, I mean, good theology says we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. That's mm. the p- full picture of salvation. That, yes, we're saved. That is a solid event that took place when we put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. But then he continues to save us um, from the trajectory that we would have been on had we bowed to sin. And the t- that version of Sean or Jason or Dan that would have been had we let – how do we serve sin um, as our master? Um and then we ultimately will be saved in that we will be in heaven forever with him and sin will be gone and no more. So that's, that's really a, good. So I just like I I want to regularly at the same time every day be aware of my depravity. Like, wow, thank you, Lord, that you saved me, but you continue to save me because I'm I, apart from you, I'm a wicked man. Yeah. So yeah, just a thought. Just I just appreciate that. Yeah. Mm. Wow. You know, I think that. Yeah, I love your example. Jason, you mentioned one that's kind of another cool historical example of someone who recognizes their... Because I love that picture of just... And I think a lot of us have seen this in our own lives of the most mature men that I know who's like walk with Christ I most respect and want to be like, they're usually the most humble. They're usually the most quick to admit how they need that sanctification, you know? And you mentioned someone earlier that that is a great example of that. I did. Let me read it to you. I'll start with a verse. I just, in first Corinthians chapter six, um, Paul says, um, this is so great. He says, do you not know that unrighteousness, the unrighteous, sorry. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he said, he goes on this long list that neither sexual, the sexually immoral, idolaters, um, he lists greedy, drunk, he lists a whole list of people. And then he says to the church in Corinth, that was what some of you once were. But do you remember? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He says, I want you to remember you, you were on that trajectory. You were so entrenched in your sin that that's the, the, you had a reputation of these types of things. And yet you were washed, you were sanctified and you were justified. Mm. So I just, I think that that's a, that's what, that speaks to what we've been talking about so far um, in terms of remembering what God's brought us from and saved us, but also being aware of, um, where we could be without him even today. The, the, the guy that I was, that Sean was mentioning is I had written down some, just some facts about Augustine or Augustine, the, the, the theologian, despite what you feel about some of the, his, um, hangups with theology overall, he contributed at his time period to some really moving forward in our understanding of God and arguably one of the, you know, greatest theologians of the early church. 
and he was a hot mess. Listen to this. I wrote this. His mother, his mother prayed for him just earnestly because he was so lost. At the age of 17, he moved in with a lover. He lived with her for 10 years, and then he had an illegitimate child with her against the law at the time. At the age of 23, he wrote a book, his first book. So he's, 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 uh, he's, that's, it's, uh, for our standards, that's young to be writing books, but he's wrote his first book at 23. He was kicking butt in the world's eyes, uh, on fitness of all things. He wrote on fitness and how to experience the good life. Sounds like something that would be on like, uh, like in the airports, you know, like when you see those like better help books. Listen, this is the part I want to read you. The quote he writes from his confessions. This is what he writes in his, if you've ever read Augustine's confessions. He says, let this sink in, listener. I cared nothing but to love and to be loved. I was dying to be loved, he writes. But my love went beyond the affection of one mind for another. It went beyond the the arc of the bright beam of friendship. In my tender youth, these Addictions for love swept me away over the precipice of my body's appetites and they plunged me in the whirlwind, whirlpool, sorry, of sin. I went to Carthage where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. I had not fallen in love, but I was in love with the idea of falling in love. And this feeling of that, that somebody or something was missing made me despise myself for not being more anxious or motivated to satisfy, satisfy this need. I began to look around for some object for my love, somewhere to point my passion since I had bat, since I had badly needed to love something. I had no liking for the safe path without pitfalls or for although my real need was for my, for you, my God, he writes. You are the food of the soul, God. I was not aware of the hunger, of this type of hunger. No, I hungered for other things. I felt no need for the food that does not perish. Not because I had not my fill of it, but because the more I was starved of it, the less palatable it seemed to me. Because of this, my soul fell sick. Listen to this part. My soul fell sick. He was saying, I don't have a, I I wanted a need. I I knew I need, I understand now that I needed you, God. But at the time, I was aware of that, but didn't have a hunger for it. And as a result, it just kind of, I lost a taste for anything that would be good from God. Hmm. And then my soul fell sick. It broke out. This is, this is, um, metaphors here. It broke out in ulcers. And looked about desperately for some material worldly means of relieving the itch which they caused. But material things, they have no soul. They could not be true objects of my love. Oh, to love and to have my love returned was my heart's desire. And it would be all the sweeter if I could also enjoy the body of the one who loved me. So I muddied the streams of friendship with the filth of lewdness. And I clouded its clear waters with hell's black river of lust. Dang. And yet in spite of this rank depravity, I was actually vain enough to have ambitions of cutting a fine life as a figure in the world. Oh my God, my God, my God of mercy, how good you were to me. Listen to this. This is great. For you mixed much bitterness in the cup of my worldly pleasure. And my love was eventually returned by someone, but it was, but finally it shackled me to the bonds of its consummation. In the midst of my worldly joy, I was caught up in the toils of trouble, for I was lashed with the cruel fiery rods now of being owned by jealousy, suspicion, fear, anxiety, anger, and quarrels. Oh my God, how merciful were you to me. And this is one of the greatest theologians would go on to become one of the arguably the greatest theologians of his, of our time or that time period. And he just it, is writing back on the level of depravity that mm. God just rescued him out of. That's amazing. So I, I do think it's important to look back and 
well, we've just said it enough here that to look back on both what God has saved us from and then what God is continually saving us from. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the Apostle Paul too, right? I mean, doesn't doesn't that kind of sound similar? It does. Yeah, just he he participated in persecution of the early church, you know, being present for for murders and beatings and imprisonments and just being completely sold out to stop this movement of the kingdom of God and the gospel in the first century. And he has this encounter with Jesus and, and it's a complete 180. And let me just read something he writes in first Timothy, if I may. Yeah, read it. Okay. No, you can't. Okay. <laughs> of course right. you can. First Timothy uh, chapter one, starting in verse 12. Listen to what he says. Kind of, I think it's similar to, to the sentiment that you just read. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Mm. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. Mm -hmm. Of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And that, that's a perfect example of what, of what Sean and I were talking about his, the progression of Paul's humility. Like he's doing what we're challenging ourselves and the, and the listeners to do is to be aware of grateful, not self-debasing, but great, but be aware of where God's brought him from, and that's a sign of truth. You want to share this? Well, yeah, and I just just to back up, like I, I think that's really telling about Paul's example of what sanctification looked like in his heart, because that's kind of the end result. That's where he ended up, you know, in that First Timothy statement. But if we re- rewind time wise, like you said, Dan, it's like man, he he was an enemy to the faith. You know, in Acts twenty two, it talks about. Or Paul says, "Man, I, I, I consented. I stood right there and I held Stephen's clothes while you killed him. You know that's who he was. And then he had that amazing encounter with Jesus, and that began his journey of sanctification. And alongside with that was his growth in humility. And you know, as you read through some of these letters from Paul, a lot of smart people have done a lot of homework to try to figure out the, the timeline of these things and." When was this written? And, oh, he wrote this while he was in this time in prison and all these things. And so we have a a rough idea of the order of things as you read these different writings of Paul. And Jason pointed out just a couple of beautiful passages that outline that growth. You know, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we think is written around 56 AD, Paul says this phrase where he says, for I'm the least of the apostles. You know, that's, that's how he considers himself, which is already very humble. You know, he says, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church, like he said. And then a few years later, five years later in Ephesians chapter three, he used this phrase, though I'm the very least of the saints. You know, so first he said, I'm I'm the least of the apostles. Now he says, I'm the least of the saints, of these Christians. And yet I received grace. And then like you just read in in first Timothy chapter one, he says, I am the foremost of of all the sinners. And Hmm. man, like, like we said a few minutes ago, this tends to be a growth pattern with people who love Jesus is as they mature in their faith, they deepen in their understanding of their standing. They grow yeah. in their humility, you know? And again, it's not self-deprecating. If anything, it's, it's, it's lifting up Jesus's greatness. It's mm. lifting up the grace that, that we receive. And I just think about what that looks like in all of our lives. You know, some of us have been on this walk longer than others and so it's not a like a, a contest of, you know, like hit the hammer and how high is your humility on the meter, you mm-hmm. know? But more so than that, it's just, do you see a pattern of growth in your life? You know, do you see now versus a year ago, now versus 10 years ago, whatever, that you can say that with confidence. Yeah, I, I have a more right view 
of where I stand because of the grace of my savior, Jesus, you know, because you should, we all should, that, that's the expectation. We all should. If you're, if you don't see that, then lovingly, we would encourage you to do some work, you know, to, to, to do some work, to participate and partner in that, that sanctification process. We talk so much on this podcast about beholding the glory of the Lord. We talk about the importance of community and of gathering in worship and of, of just chewing on these things. Because if you do that, that's, that's the promise that you're going to maybe not to the same degree or maybe it'll look differently, but just like Paul, just like Augustine, just like all these people we've mentioned, man, you'll grow and deepen in your trust of who Jesus is and his grace for you. And I just think about what that picture would be like for the church. You know, if we were all living in that place where we are so quick to say, no, I'm the, I'm the foremost of the sinners. I have received mm. so much grace. Then how would that just transform the perception of what Christians are like in America? Well, yeah. And let's just go back to our story, right? I mean, what would it, what would it have looked like if everybody at that dinner party took their cues from, from this woman who was loving much, Hmm. you know, like, and could, could hearts have been transformed in that moment by seeing what she was doing as, as an inspiration rather than, than something to be horrified in or something Hmm. to, to be, um, looked down upon. Right. Like one of the things that you were saying is, it kind of just unfolded, right? Like she came to just bless him and, and give an offering and, and it turned into this, this kind of organic response. But like, what if, what if sitting there, someone would have, would have came to her aid, like you said, and brought a towel and, or, or brought some oil or something, you know, like, can you imagine if her act of worship and devotion kind of like caught fire and yeah. and everybody just at that party started worshiping Jesus that way. And, and, mm. you know, it didn't go that way for whatever reason, but, but I often think, um, true, I don't know, like a, a true, th- there's, there's something so beautiful about a true, pure, unhindered expression of worship that I think if if our heart is in a humble place like we've been talking about, it'll 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 inspire us to to respond in kind. Mm. And you know we've been talking this whole time just about somebody being too far gone, right? Is is that even possible for? And I think we've we've explained pretty pretty thoroughly that that that's that's a false way of of thinking about the grace of God that no one is too far gone mm-hmm. to receive that. But I also think like, man, that's part of the problem in that dinner party is, is they looked at this woman's act and they said, that's too far. You, 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 in your worship and devotion and, and, and love, you're, you've crossed the line. This is inappropriate. It's, it's not cool, (laughs) you know? Mm. And I don't know, just as a, as a, um, as a worship pastor, I just, I think about like, man, do we sometimes have that attitude, whether it's corporately or privately or whatever, where where we, it's like this imaginary line that we draw because of whatever reason, maybe it's cultural or personality or whatever. It's like, uh, I'm not going to go that far in my, in my expression of worship. And maybe there's, maybe there's some pride or, um, you know, contempt to, to look at in that regard too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or just, I, I want to take her example and, um, it'd be another podcast to discuss this part, but just in the same way that we want to be aware of this, the, the, the mire, the muck and the mire that God pulled us from the pit that God pulled us from mm-hmm. and the trajectory that God took us off of. We also want to be constantly aware of our deep love for God. So like I'm looking at her love for God and just thinking about um, seeing Jesus like, like you guys have said, beholding his beauty. And when we do that, I think some of that physical expression of worship just comes out of the overflow of our heart. It just become we don't have to think about it. It's just we begin to in our various personalities and styles begin to express deep affection for God or beautiful affection for God in a variety of ways, both privately and corporately. And so that's that's what I want to keep coming back to is just holding up how amazing the amazing grace that was well, 
well well titled and put by the by Mr. John Newton. Sure. Yeah, his grace is amazing. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm encouraged. Enough said. I'd love to pray for um like I love if whoever's listening to be thinking about who in their life currently do they feel like how is God gonna open their eyes or get get to them and that child, you know, that you have, that, you know, adult kid that, that you're praying for or a neighbor, um, a coworker. Yeah. A mom, a, f- a whole family members. You know, I prayed for some people on Sunday. They said all their family, they're the only Christian in their family. And, um, I want to pray for them right now that they, that God, um, is, f- gives them favor to the prayers and heals and heals and saves those people. Can I, can yeah. we do that real quick? Let's, do that. Yeah, let's join our hearts together. Yeah. That's good. And then um, can I read a verse afterwards? Or Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> let's pray. Father, we, I pray for the for those listening now that um, have now have a picture of someone in their mind, a, a, a child, a, um, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member that... Oh, they've prayed for so long that you would arrest any evil that's taking place in their life. You would open their spiritual eyes to their need of you and their need of forgiveness and grace. And that they would come to taste, that see and taste that you are good. And I pray first for the listener who has prayed. I pray that you would, if they've lost hope, if some hope has died, I pray, Father, that you being the God who resurrects that which is dead, you would resurrect hope in their hearts that um, with you all things are possible. And you specialize in in causing hearts that have uh, that are dead and closed off to you and minds that are closed off to you to awaken and so father we pray for um the those that are willing to pray right now that you would instill in them new um refreshed um prayer for the lost you would instill in them new hope um help them to see that that great is your faithfulness and nothing is beyond the reach of your grace um and so uh, then I pray for those that are, that they're thinking of that are lost. I pray, Lord, thank you that you know every detail of their life down to what gas station they go to, where they shop for their food. And so as a result, you know all the Christians that are peppered in their life that, that you can now increase their encounters with believers who, who speak about you and who bring up, um, asking for prayer for if they can pray and who point out things about you and i pray that you would increase that in these people's lives i pray father that you would um get them into nature in some manner help them to see the beauty that you uh, proclaim through your created order and stir in their hearts um that which is needed to call upon you and then I pray, Father, if you, we do ask that you would increase your favor and grace in their life and that they would come to you because you are a good God and it's your mercy that leads us to repentance. So should be merciful and, and wonderful to them and kind and may they, they, you be so kind and so, such a blessing in their life in so ways that you help them connect the dots and come to you finally in gratitude. That's our hope and prayer. But if you must, do the opposite, which is to increase some kind of pain or calamity that would bring them to the end of themselves, Lord, um, so that they then in their humility call upon you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would do that if you need, if need be. But we ask that you would just through this prayer and through our, through our act of faith acting, asking that you, you to do something we cannot, that you would save many people. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Sweet prayer, man. Hit us with that verse. Titus, this is my prayer that I keep having, that I want in my heart. I want in your guys' heart. I want the listeners who love and follow Jesus and then those that God saves. Um, Paul says, hey, I want you to remember this, Titus. We, we ourselves, we were once foolish. We were disobedient. 
we were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hated by some and hating others. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, I believe in our hearts, he's saying, he rescued us. He saved us. And it wasn't because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So I pray for us. It's good. Amen. Thanks for listening. And Jason, we can't thank you enough for being on the show today and just for bringing such such beautiful thoughts for us to, to meditate on. So That was way better than if it had been Johnny Cash. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> All right, y'all. See you guys uh, this coming Sunday as Nathan is at the crossing. I'll be teaching at the Ultimate, and I hope to see you next week. Uh, uh, behold again. Single service Sunday for the crossing. It's Daddy Day. Yeah, Father's Ooh. Day. So bring bring your dad and come worship with us. It's going to be a great time. Me party. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes of Behold. If you would like more information about Valley Bible Church, or if you'd like resources from this episode, go ahead and check out vbc.online forward slash behold. Catch you guys next week.